coming up on the Write Something Worthy podcast. You know, I actually think book writing is one of the most profound routes to thought leadership. If you're really vulnerable and authentic in what you write, that's, that's the route to people just falling in love with you. Welcome to the Worthy Writer edition of the Write Something Worthy podcast. Each month, we bring you an informative interview that helps you to live your best life as an entrepreneur. And now, your host, Tanya Brockett. Welcome, Worthy Writers. Today, we are chatting with Teresa Dake-Robra, who is the number one international best-selling author of Mass Influence, The Habits of the Highly Influential. This book has been on the bestseller list in seven countries for over the past six years. As a four-time international best-selling author, Teresa teaches marketing courses around the globe to business leaders and entrepreneurs on how to create massively successful word-of-mouth campaigns. Teresa heads the International Evolutionary Business Council, a membership-based organization which empowers change makers to create profitable, impactful businesses that have a lasting and transformational impact on the individuals that they serve. Teresa is also a crypto trader and co-leads the Conscious Crypto YouTube channel to raise money to support her community where she lives in Costa Rica. Please enjoy our conversation today with Teresa. Welcome, Teresa, to the Write Something Worthy podcast. So glad to have you here today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Tanya. Oh, you're welcome. You are welcome. I have heard that you're one of those who teaches um, both emerging and existing thought leaders to have that awesome impact in the world. What does it mean, really, to have thought leadership? What does that mean at a grassroots level? Oh, I love that question. You know, in my world, thought leadership is just anytime you're pushing out new ideas, new ways of thinking then you're in the realm of thought leadership, right? Anytime you're trying to shift someone's life or transform their outlook, that's thought leadership. So oftentimes, a lot of the people who do TED Talks are trying Absolutely. to push new ideas and new concepts. I watched your TED Talk, as a matter of fact, and I found it very engaging, by the way. Um, and there, you know, you were talking about making an impact and having influence one question I have about that whole thought leadership thing is, can thought leaders use authorship to expand their impact? And can an author become a thought leader by sharing their message? Yes, to both. You know, I actually think book writing is one of the most profound routes to thought leadership, you know, because if you and you know I know I'm I'm preaching to the choir because this is so aligned with everything you teach Tanya and you you and I are very aligned on this but if you're really vulnerable and authentic in what you write that's that's the route to people just falling in love with you you know because the days of gurus have really gone away like nobody's looking for a guru anymore they're really just looking for a guide and the distinction I mean there is really just you know, people don't so much want to be told exactly what to do and carried. They more want to be taught to discover it for themselves. 
And so a really well-crafted book, you know, can really inspire people to just, you know, go inward and go on their own journey because you were vulnerable about your journey. Yes, I do. I see that a lot with authors uh, who are promoting their books, to be honest, when they are being real and authentic in their social media posts and so forth. It's when people really connect and engage like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I went through the same thing or whatever. That, that authenticity allows them to connect a little bit better. Yeah, very much so. Now, you know, some of my authors that I work with are, they're not really in business when they are writing their books. You know, some of them aren't in the business of doing whatever they're writing their books for. But I often encourage them to use their books as leverage, you know, to grow multiple income streams and and think like an entrepreneur. So along that vein, can we talk about your three keys to cutting edge business? How can, what, what are those three keys and how can an author use them? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, if you're writing a book, you are in a business, you know, because if you're intending, you know, if you're creating a book, which is a product, and you're intending to sell it and have people read it, then, you know, whether or not you admit it to yourself, which a lot of authors don't like to admit it to themselves, right? But that yeah. is a business ever, right? So it's important to start thinking like it's a business instead of just the, you know, if I write it, they will come and hide out and hope the world discovers you, right? And so one of the things we talk about in the Evolutionary Business Council a lot is the three keys or the three pillars of thought leadership, right? Which are influence, profit, and impact. And if you get the influence and the profit pillars working really, really well, the impact just naturally follows. So it's really important, you know, to have all three legs of the table or the table won't stand. Yes, yes, yes. You know, there's a principle called uh, the law of impact that says that to grow broad and lasting impact, you must first grow your influence and engagement. So your first key is influence. What does influence mean to you and how do we get it? Well, influence is just anytime people know, like, and trust you enough that they'll take action based on your recommendation, right? So everybody has influence. Everybody has someone who trusts them enough that they would take their advice, right? What we're really talking about, though, in the realm of authorship is mass influence, right? Do a lot of people know, like, and trust you enough that they'll take action based on what you say? And that is a little bit more of a tricky thing because you can't make yourself influential, right? And here's, here's the thing that so many people need the paradigm shift for, right? You can't make yourself influential. You can just give influence to other people and they can give it back to you. You know, another way of saying that is, you know, you couldn't stand up on a chair at a networking function and say, look at me, I'm so great, everybody come talk to me. People would be rolling their eyes up in their head and asking to get you out of the room, you know, but if you stood up on the chair and said, oh my God, look who just walked into the room, I'm so excited, let me introduce you to this awesome person, 
then all of a sudden you're gracious. And in fact, in that moment, you become the most influential person in the room and everyone's excited to hear what you have to say. So it's actually in the act of giving influence to other people that we become more influential and more sought after as an influencer ourselves. So how does an author, let's say someone who is really introverted. I know a lot of authors who just rather stay behind the computer and behind the book covers and not be seen or heard otherwise. So how does someone like that um, give influence in a way that reflects back to them. Yeah. I, I, well, first of all, if you listen to this, I feel your pain because I'm an introvert too, right? And I think the answer lies in hold your influence in places that are really well aligned with an introvert. You know, like, you know, you don't have to run a podcast if you don't want. You could have an influential blog, Right, So you could still give influence to other people through the written word. You could run an online e-zine or you could just have a really um, awesome social media channel where you, you know, tweet out or, or put out little um, inspirations or something and you can use those channels to give influence to other people. Right, like, And so you really got to create a business that's aligned with who you are and your hardwiring. Right? One of the reasons I built the Evolutionary Business Council the way I did um, was, you know, I hardly ever lead our events. It's mostly other people, members of the EBC, speaking and leading at the events. I just speak a little bit of the time. You know, if you go to the average EBC event, I'm on stage maybe half hour, hour during the event. And that's because I'm an introvert. I'm actually happier at the back of the room. Doesn't mean I'm not influential, though. So check what your paradigm is of mass influence. It doesn't mean you have to be speaking on big stages. Yes, I still do that. Even as an introvert, you might choose to at times. But it doesn't mean you have to. There's lots of other options. Yes. Now, that is, uh, I think, an important message for a lot of our listeners because the fear of having to get up and speak on stage because I have become an author you know, and because my message is being spread like wildfire, you know, I don't want to be that one that's up on the stage. How do I avoid that? So you're showing them how they can have that mass influence without stretching too far out of their own comfort zone to do that. Yeah. Well, and it's a really good idea to notice that inner dialogue too, right? Because you know, our dreams, especially our dreams to really be a contribution to the world, like our dreams to do something significant that would change other people's lives, those dreams are scarier to us than they are to anyone else because they're your dreams, right? Our dreams are freaking huge, right? So nothing is going to flare up your negative self-talk, your, your self-doubt, your insecurities more than when you come butt up against your own dreams, Right. So it's really important to start noticing that because nobody out there is going to be better hardwired to live your dreams than you because nobody else is going to be more tenacious. Nobody else is going to be more passionate. Nobody else is going to be more charismatic, regardless of whether or not you're an introvert. Like some, There's some incredibly famous introverts out there who've had a huge impact through the written word. Like look at uh, Malcolm Gladwell, of course, you know who wrote The Tipping Point and Blink and umpteen other books that have all mm-hmm. been you know, many time uh, New York Times bestsellers, and he is an extreme introvert, self-admittedly. 
And yet he still teach, teaches courses and speaks in public. He just does it in his own style and with his own unique charisma that's really honoring of the fact that he's an introvert. Mm. Well, that's, that's a really good point. And I'm grateful that you had some examples to share because oftentimes people just don't feel like there's anybody else there, out there like them who feel the way they do. And, no, oh, but you don't know. I'm really an introvert. Well, there are others that are out there like you, still sharing their message. Your your second key was profit. And, you know, there are a lot of business owners in general who may understand profit in, you know, in general, in theory. But quite frankly, uh, like some that my friend uh, Susie Carter, the profit coach, would tell you that you got to plan for it. It's not just something that's left over in your business after you've paid all your expenses, right? That's not the idea of profit. But you suggest that profit is simply a measure of success, but not an objective of the business. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, and that's such an important paradigm shift for so many people, right? Because, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, if you had asked anyone in the world of business, they would say, Profit is the reason you're in business. Like the objective is profit. And now there's more an enlightened crowd of entrepreneurs out there that say, no, profit isn't actually the objective. The objective is the outcome you stand for. The profit is the measure of whether you're getting there effectively. Right? So it's not to say profit's not important in business. It is. But another way to think about that is, it's the moment that people actually open their wallet and put their credit card down that they actually have some kind of internal change, some kind of internal transformation, right? If insight were all it took to change people's lives, there would be no smoking on this planet. There would be no obesity on this planet. You know, we all know what it takes to, to stop obesity, right? You exercise more, you eat less. Obesity goes away. I'm, and, you know, I'm not trying to be flippant for those people who have legitimate health issues, but for the most part, that would be the case. And yet it doesn't because insight alone without action does not change people's lives, right? So when you think about action, there's no more committed action people take than to put money on the table and commit to something. In fact, the more money they put on the table, the more deeply they will commit to something and the more likely they will to have breakthroughs and change their lives. Isn't that interesting? So we talk about this distinction in the Evolutionary Business Council as mobilization, right? Like, are you influential enough to mobilize people? And if you are mobilizing people, some part of that should be they're buying more things from you, right? Because they want to consume more. They want your teaching. They want, you know, whatever. Even if you're, um, you know, a, a fiction author, you know, they want more entertainment. They want more engagement from you. Whatever it is they want more, they're willing to pay more. So actually the point of actually making that buying decision is the point at which they solidify that there's a new way of being in their life. There's something now they're committed to in the world that you bring to them. And now um, you've actually caused a little transformation in their life, right? So profit is actually a measure of that. And it's really important to think about it in that context. Now, does that mean, though, that an author has to keep playing bigger and bigger 
and creating more and more content in order to make more and more impact. Well, there's no one size fits all in this world, right? Um, and there's, you know, all roads lead to Rome. So I think the thing is to find what's that thing that works for you. You know, there are lots of authors out there that have only written one book, and then they use that book as a leveraging platform to then start just shining a light on other people's brilliance. And and if that's what really inspires you, I would say go ahead and do it. But for the most part, most authors, once they've had a successful creation, when they surrender to their own creative juices, they simply want to create more content. Like, you know, when you start to tune into the joy of writing and how awesome it is, especially when you start to get the feedback from the people who really loved and consumed your book and not only read it, but, you know, really had shift and change as a result of it or really had amazing experiences as a result of it. Usually that inspires you to want to create more and want to actually build more relationship, not only with your own following, but with other influencers in the same niche that can help, you know, generate more conversation around your work. It is exciting when I work with a lot of first time authors. So when they see that book in their hands for the first time, it's like, oh my God, this is real now, right? And then they gain the feedback or we help them to get to first, uh, you know, bestseller status and they see the impact that the reviews are sharing in or about their book. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Now what's my next one? You know, what else can I do? What else can I give? So I, I see your point there that you're often inspired to give more when you make an impact with what you first created. Yeah, I would absolutely. agree with that. Yeah. Now, and it's special, your first bestseller, right? Like, in fact, it's really special pulling your first printed book out of the box. Like, you know, you, you, don't you want to just hold it up and smell it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a good moment, right? And and that moment when your first book hits the bestseller list, that's another one of those really special moments, right? I always love, because I work with a lot of authors and, and, you know, a lot of members of the Evolutionary Business Council are authors. So I always make it a point when I see someone's just hit the bestseller list, to phone them and congratulate them and celebrate with them because invariably they're sitting there and they're not sure if it's true. Like it's like, oh, I see my book there and oh, what does this mean? Am, am I a be- Can I say I'm a bestseller? Am I a bestseller? Yeah, right. That's the question I get the most. Can I say that? To phone them up and say, yeah, honey, it's true. <laughs> Are you doing the happy dance? Did you buy your bottle of champagne yet? You know, because sometimes people need someone else to celebrate with, even the introverts, especially the introverts of the world. And and they need that validation of hearing someone else speak it out loud. Yeah, you are a best-selling author. And once you've got the title, no one will ever take it away from you. Yes, that is so right. I really experienced that just a couple of weeks ago with a, a colleague of mine. And we, uh, you know, worked hard together to make sure that she would reach it. And, oh, my gosh, she was so excited I mean, she was up very early uh, on launch day, um, really excited about the success of her book. And she hit bestseller in so many different categories. It was amazing. Number one, even, not just bestseller, but number one bestseller. And it was really I know. Cool. It's exciting when you start hitting number one in many countries, too. Like, that's, ah. 
I mean, that's the cool thing about this day and age now, right? A single listing on Amazon can have your book being sold across the globe and you can be hitting, um, you know, hitting the list in English speaking, sometimes even in non-English speaking countries around the world, you know? So, I mean, it always uh, surprised me when my book hit bestseller in Italy. I'm like, I don't know anyone in Italy. How How did that happen? I realized I had a bunch of colleagues in Germany and places like that who were shouting the book out. But they had spoken in Italy and they had following in Italy. And that's how the book was ending up on the list in Italy, right? And, you know, that was my first aha moment of you have no idea what's going to happen when a lot of people who love you start talking about your book. That is absolutely true. And how wonderful that a lot of people who love you start talking about your book. Yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, just in and of itself. So that begs the question, does having influence mean that there are going to be profits or are you, if you're profitable, does that mean you have influence? Not necessarily, but to some extent, yes. Like, so it would be true to say where there's influence, profit usually follows, and where there's profit, influence usually follows. But it's way better when you get actually intentional about both and start really starting to learn and master and understand how both of them work. It's kind of like you're playing this great new sport, but the sport actually becomes a lot more fun and a lot more relatable when you learn the rules, and not only the rules, but the unspoken etiquette of the sport right? You know, the strategies and how to play, right? Which are go way beyond the rules, right? And so, you know, one of the reasons we created the EBC was we wanted to have a safe space for people who are stepping into thought leadership to come in and have that conversation and, you know, go ahead and make your mistakes and have colleagues and friends there to say, oh, that probably wasn't the most powerful way to do that. Try this way and that will work better. And suddenly you find everything starts working a lot more effectively. I would like you to share a little bit more about that Evolutionary Business Council and what does it mean to be a part of that? What, um, you know, and what instigated its creation as you were talking about creating that, that safe space? Tell us more about that. Well, the, the EBC was actually created mostly out of intervention. <laughs> I, had a, I had a group of colleagues do an intervention on me one day. Because, you know, we had all been speaking at a big event I was hosting. And uh, as a treat for all the speakers, I I booked some condos up in the mountains near Calgary, where the event was, and took everybody up to the mountains for the weekend. I just thought it'd be really fun to hang out with some of the speakers at the event afterward. And that first night after the event, we're all sitting around the condo drinking wine or tea. and, And out of my mouth pops, someday when I'm influential enough, I'd love to create a big organization to help thought leaders and emerging thought leaders really step into their influence and their profit. And everybody in the room starts laughing to, to a man. And I'm like, what? I just, I just told you all my dream and you're all laughing? Like, what is going on? And, and Danielle Gutierrez looks at me, who, of course, is one of the top Latino speakers in the world. And uh, he says, Wait a minute, Teresa, you were just on stage five hours ago telling people to notice when they say someday I will and inviting them to make that day today. And then Jennifer Huff looks at me, who's also just an incredible international speaker who I just adore. And she looks at me and says, so when are you going to do that, Teresa? 
<laughs> and, and so that moment became the birth of the EBC, and we spent the rest of the weekend dreaming and envisioning what the EBC might become. In fact, that group of people that were in that room became the first advisory board for the EBC. And so we actually became a community that's all about building a more conscious, more sustainable world by supporting conscious businesses, supporting thought leaders and emerging thought leaders in developing more influential and profitable and impactful businesses. And so we do that by both learning content, helping them mastermind, having them connect with other colleagues um, in, a, in a safe environment. And, and first and foremost, we're also a safe space for leaders to step into to do their own internal work. Because sometimes when you think about pushing yourself out there and playing bigger, all of your self-doubt and all of your inner dialogue and all of your insecurities come screaming forward. So we make sure we're a safe space for people to take that on. How do you build influence in that council? How do you grow your council or what's going to allow your council to be sustainable? Well, I think one of the most important elements of influence is what what are your connections to other influential people, you know? And our members tend to become really good friends with each other, right? It's not uncommon in the EBC to have somebody launch a book and it will hit number one international bestseller status before the book even launches, like it'll hit it in pre-sales. And that's because our members love each other so much that they won't shut up about each other's books. You know, it's often really fun to see, you know, because I often pick up the phone and call people when I see it happening. And and they're like, what? Oh, my God. Like, we haven't even proofread the website for typos. What's going on? And, you know, and I have to say, oh, honey, breathe. It's okay. You know, it's okay. This is a good problem to have. This is a really good problem to have that the world is so excited about your book that it's already hitting bestseller status before you've actually um, declared it launched. You know, and um, it's really, really cool to watch. It's really exciting to see what friendship and camaraderie can do amongst change agents and people that just want to build a better world. In that council, you've got people from all different walks of life. I mean, different focuses, different areas of business, different areas of impact and influence. Yes. Yeah, in fact, the one thing that draws our membership together is that they're all people that are teaching consciousness or transformational principles inside their work. But we have everything from hardcore business trainers to health experts to people who are creating movies to authors and podcasters. We encourage all of our members, though, to use education and education marketing in some form to further their work. So if you're more on the entertainment side of teaching consciousness, then you're teaching through your work just just by inspiring people in your writing. If you're more writing biographies, then, you know, again, you're you're teaching by example. You're standing for a different way of being or a victory over some aspect of your life, right? Or if you're just, you know, straight straight up teaching, then um, it's very easy to use education as the primary means by which you market. Yes, yes. I remember when, speaking of being in education where you're educating people, I've done a variety of different things, and including teaching entrepreneurship at a, a major university. But because I came from that educational background, when I did my first 
keynote workshop, it was like, Tanya, don't teach me, entertain me. <laughs> and yeah. and mm -hmm. so I had to learn not to teach so much, but teach some and entertain a lot. So uh, I find that so interesting. I can't mm -hmm. help but want to teach people something. I can't help but want to help them to grow and be more than they ever thought possible. But that's part well, of the Well, I think the world has really, yeah, the world has really moved into edutainment. <laughs> you know, like if you look at like, you know, I love the work of uh, Shonda Rhimes, you know, with her shows like Grey's Anatomy and Bridgerton. You know, she takes on mm -hmm. some of the toughest issues in society in those shows. And, you know, she might not be hitting it at the highest bar, but she's hitting it at the bar society needs. You know, like when you look at the difficult conversations that they have on uh, on Grey's Anatomy or Station 19, it's like her writing is brilliant because each episode is entertaining people while it educates them on social issues. Wow, isn't that fascinating, mm -hmm. right? So you can stand for changing lives and transform lives no matter what type of venue you're doing to do it, whether you're a writer, whether you're a podcaster, whether you're a screenwriter, or a television producer, all of them have that as an accessible option, which I think is what the world is really wanting right now. Tell me this. Uh, speaking of, you know, making that transformation through writing and so forth, I, I shared in your introduction that your book, Mass Influence, The Habits of the Highly Influential, has dominated the bestseller list over the years. But as, a, as an author, how do you keep it relevant? How do you keep it marketable? Yeah, you know, I, I have to say that's the gift the Evolutionary Business Council gives me, you know. Mm. Um, they keep shouting out my book or mentioning it or, you know, every time I do an interview or something, they mention my book. And all those little pushes tend to keep it, you know, on on the list and in and out of the number one spot in small business marketing. It's been there for several years now, which is really, you know, a really wonderful and humbling experience to have a community that's so mm -hmm. behind you that, that they keep giving you that gift over and over again. But, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see how accessible that gift is to so many people. If you just stay leaned in and just stay, you know, pursuing that drive in your heart to do something better, something more exciting, it, it almost becomes self-perpetuating because people just can't shut up about your work, right? Shonda Rhimes will never know I shouted her out on this interview, right? But she deserves it. She's a freaking brilliant writer. Like she's an inspiration to the writing community as a whole because her writing is so brilliant. It's both entertaining, like, you know, talk about, um, you know, she uses sex to sell to change people's lives. Isn't that fun? You know, because I mean, you know, if you listen to some of her interviews and stuff she talks about, she even talks about the original name for Grey's Anatomy was Sex in the Surgery. That was the placeholder name <laughs> they had for her. And so you'll notice, and you know, a lot of doctors of interviews, they'll, the one thing they'll say about Grace is the show's really authentic and real. I'd like to ask you a question about, you know, we see other people making a positive impact. You see your EBC members helping each other to make an impact. But how does, how does somebody who's not involved in a group like that make that kind of impact? And how does an author keep giving 
influence? How, how, what are some examples of people giving influence? Yeah, well, I think it all comes down to you've got to build the relationships, right? And one of the reasons I wrote my book was that I saw so many people like everyday heroes that just wanted to do something good in the world, you know, create something beautiful and have an impact that really struggle to understand how influence works. And, and then as a result, it, it's kind of like they're on the hockey rink, but they've never learned the game of hockey and they can't figure out why they keep falling on their butt and everybody's shooting pucks at them, right? So, you know, I wrote my book to help people get related to dealing with the highly influential is almost just like a whole different sport. And it's not like one sport is right and the other's wrong, but you got if you know if you're switching sports, you got to get reacquainted with how the new sport is played, right? And it it really comes down to mindset, right? Um, we all learned a set of etiquette as early as when we were back playing in the sandbox, right? You know, we learned things like I do this for you, and you'll do nice things for me, and there's kind of a tit for tat that starts happening in life, and and then we come up and and we start getting involved in business and. And we learn it's a good idea if you want to make a connection to offer to buy a colleague coffee or lunch. But you only have to phone up the head of a Fortune 500 company and faster than you can say gatekeeper. You're going to learn that, you know, you can't offer to buy coffee or lunch for an influential person. Somewhere in between those scenarios, the rule book changed and the etiquette changed, right? And so my book is all just about, okay, how do you understand this different mindset and how do you start building the muscle so that you're just moving through your day the way an influential person moves through their day, a lot, kind of a lot like breathing. You know, it's, it's not something you have to think about. It's just something you have to embody and start becoming habitual. And then influence will just naturally flow to you and things will start working. That's wonderful. So one of our first steps then for everybody listening is, to go get your book, Math Influence, so that we can figure out how how we can embody that influence and start uh, working with it in our lives. Sounds yeah. like a. And with, I, with the I, book, we have a 30 day influence challenge too. So if you uh, want some practical exercises, you know, when you sign up for the 30 day influence challenge, we send you the links where you can get the digital version of my book, complimentary. Because for its seventh year anniversary of being on the bestseller list, we're now giving the, the Kindle or the iBooks or the iTunes versions out for free. Um, but there's 30 days of like quick little two-minute exercises you can do every morning that just help you understand how influence works by, by doing the things influential people do. And if you follow those exercises for 30 days, you will at the end of the 30 days have a different paradigm around influence. Mm. Well, that's good. We will have a link to that in our show notes so that everyone can get their hands on that 30-day challenge and make it a part of their own lives so that they can build their influence. You know, it was such an interesting uh, topic when, you know, when I saw the title of your book, when I saw your TED Talk, when I looked at your materials, I was struck by it because I recognize how important influence is. And to see you really bringing that out to the forefront, I thought was tremendous. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate that you're out there doing that. No, I appreciate you saying that. I, I'm such a huge fan of your work as well. So, I, you know, I, <laughs> it's mutual. It's, um, it's really an honor to have such praise coming from you, Tanya. I, I think what you teach and what you stand for 
um, in this community is really quite phenomenal. Thank you so much. You know, now I've got a question that I'd like to ask of a lot of people, especially those who are best-selling authors. What do you believe it takes to write something worthy? I think first and foremost, you know, you need you, well, you need to learn how to write. <laughs> I know that sounds so so cliche, right? But writing is a skill, and you know, a lot of experts in this field. And I know I'm mir- mirroring things you often just say um, to people who follow your work that um, you know it's okay to do a, a lousy first draft. You know, like get something on paper. And then learn through the art of editing how to make it really compelling and, and really vulnerable and really engaging so that the reader doesn't want to put it down. And that's all just a journey that you go on, right? Every author who's ever written a book, you know, unless they're on their 20th book and they've really mastered the art of writing, um, but their first few books are always, you know, needing lots of revisions and lots of work beyond the first draft, but you just got to get that first draft out. You got to get it on paper so you've got somewhere to start. You know, that was always my challenge when I was in college and writing all those, you know, 20, 50 page papers, getting that first draft out was always the hardest for me. But I knew once I got that first draft out, I could edit the heck out of it. And that's probably why my first business uh, in the editorial realm was editing. I would do the copy editing for individual authors first before I got into ghostwriting and so forth. That's what I did. And I do find that getting that first draft down, don't edit while you write. You know, just get the concepts and the content out, then you can edit that book. But I will say that I've got authors that are first-time authors, and I have authors who have 60, 70 books out. Every one of them needs an editor regardless. Editing Absolutely. is a part of the publishing process that no one should skip, no matter how well you write, no matter how often you write. An editor is an essential component of, of the publishing process. So I encourage it at all times. Um, no matter yeah, no, no. Book is ever written without a brilliant editor. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it exactly. comes down to. And it, in fact, I think most good books, um, you know, it's amazing how often people are using ghostwriters these days. And you know, personally, I, I don't believe in ghostwriters from the from the standpoint of I love the authenticity of acknowledging your ghostwriter, right? Because um, I worked with a ghostwriter on Mass Influence. I, I say that in, like in air quotes because um, it was Karen Rowe. And like all of the content in Mass Influence is my content. It's my book. But she so brilliantly helped me structure it and put it together and really reflect my own authenticity. I was like, I can't not put her name on the book. You know, because before that, she'd be like, Teresa, you don't know how many New York Times bestsellers I've written, and I can't tell anyone because I'm the ghostwriter. Right? So I actually think it's becoming more and more common in this day and age, and I encourage authors to do this. If somebody's ghostwriting with you, put their name on the book, at least in the acknowledgments. But, you know, I actually put Karen Rowe as the second author on, on the cover. Even though the content is my own, the smithing and the structure of it and, the you know, figuring out how to get it to really reflect my sense of humor so that my personality came out in the book, all of that 
was due to the brilliance of Karen Rowe, which is why, you know, I really think um, it's one of my hopes that the world of ghostwriting goes away and becomes the world of exceptional writing coaches who are acknowledged on the cover of the books that they contribute to, because I actually think um, a, a good ghostwriter is just, I want to say worth their weight in gold, but that doesn't seem, it's worth their weight in Bitcoin. What's more valuable than gold these days? <laughs> I don't even know. Well, you know, I, I'm kind of torn on that because I am a ghostwriter and I am that, I am that transparent layer between an author and their reader. And yeah. to be honest, I am okay with being transparent. But at the same time, there are there have been times when some of my clients have uh, included me in their book in some way or another. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, on the copyright page or something, acknowledging my input in some way or another. And that's okay too. If they want to do that, that's fine. My agreement is that you're the only one who can say that, not me. Yeah. And, I, so, you know, I, I'm sometimes controversial, but that's my controversy. But I understand. I understand your feelings on that. It's, you know, it you is know, for writers. They say, I, I'm, I moderated a ghostwriting panel at a writer's conference um, a couple of years ago. And one of the facts that came out was that over 70% of nonfiction books are ghostwritten. And Uh if you think about that, how many people have their concept, have their content, have their information, but don't always have the best way to present it? Sometimes they need that writer or they need somebody to pull that story out of them. That's one of the things that I do with my clients often is we just have a conversation that extracts their essence. So that then I can put that down on a page for them. So it's their brilliance, but it's my work that allows it to be read. Yeah, beautiful. And, That's beautifully put. Yeah, but you know, if they want to put me on the cover of their book, they'll have to they'll have to put me <laughs> in the contract first. So. Um. <laughs> But I really appreciate that. It does, um, writing something worthy does mean that you have to care about what you're presenting. You have to care about what you're laying down, what you're writing, and you have to care about what you're saying. Now, it is okay, in my opinion, to have help doing all of that. And that's where, you know, as you said, once you get that first draft down, that editor really helps you to massage that and make that, you know, bring out your dazzle, if you will. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, Teresa, I so appreciate your being with me today and and sharing so much great information and helping me to understand influence and and giving uh, our listeners the opportunity to get involved in your 30-day challenge, which we'll have a link for in the show notes. Is there any other way that you would like to share about us um, that would allow us to connect with you? Is there anything... Uh, Well, if any of you are inspired to check out the Evolutionary Business Council, feel free to come to ebcouncil.com and um, click the apply link to sign up for a call to find out more about the organization if you're interested in that. Wow, wonderful. Okay. Well, we already know some of the impact that that council has, so um, it would behoove uh, everyone listening to check that out. 
All right. Well, thank you again so much for joining us at the Write Something Worthy podcast. We're grateful that you've been involved, and we really appreciate your time today. Oh, it was just a joy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. You've been listening to the Worthy Writer edition of the Write Something Worthy podcast. If you'd like to know more about today's guest or even to reach out to them, you can find all of their information in our show notes at writesomethingworthy.com. 